This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, uh, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the Primal Screen studio are Sally Christie. Hello. And and also joining like- is uh, Flick Ford. Hello. We'll join Mark Ruffalo as he gets revenge for being murdered by John DuPont and Foxcatcher <laughs> by exposing the DuPont company's catastrophic environmental damage in Todd Haynes' new film, Dark Waters. So we'll be speaking to Blake Curtis, one of the directors of the upcoming Real Good Film Festival, and filmmaker James Litchfield, who made one of the shorts that we'll be screening during said festival. Then we'll travel to Macedonia to find one of Europe's last wild beekeepers with Tamara Kotsevska and uh, Lyubomir Stefanov's Oscar-nominated documentary, Honeyland. But first, it's time for the primal screen and news bulletin for the week. Coronavirus, that old thing, (laughs) has wreaked havoc around the film world this week between Sony Pictures' decision to delay its new James Bond film, No Time to Die, for seven months from April to November, a move that looks uh, looks to set the company back more than 30 million US dollars. Apparently, though, if they'd released it in April, it would have cost them a lot more. Um, To the cancellation of this year's massive South by Southwest music and film festival in Austin, which... Knocked me for a loop. Yeah, I wonder if it's going to like um, have you know any other sort of major American festivals like Coachella and things like that if they'll go ahead or yeah, yeah it's knows? all under uh, it's mm. all under you know survey at the moment. Um, it's because uh, there was because there's been 17 cases or something of coronavirus in Texas mm, and there was okay. a lot of tech giants pulling out and then it just sort of went from there. Yeah. Um, as well as the more predictable cancellation, of course, of this year's Beijing International Film Festival, with more festivals and release dates sure to fall in future, given some 70,000 of China's cinemas have been closed since January. In local film news, major and independent film distributors and exhibitors are urging the federal government to adopt a new PG-13 classification, which they say would benefit family-friendly Australian and international films that get M ratings. Australian titles such as Top End Wedding, Ali's Wedding, so many weddings, Th- Three Summers, <laughs> probably with weddings, Jasper Jones and Emo the Musical, all rated M but appropriate for and targeted to teenage audiences, were cited as the kind of films that would benefit from a PG-13 rating, as well as blockbusters such as Spider-Man Far From Home and Maleficent Mistress of Evil, both PG-13 in the US but M here. That's really, I didn't know that they were thinking about putting that new rating out. I remember when uh, we got the MA rating. Yes. Yeah, from- <laughs> to bridge in between M-rated films and R-rated films. Because you get so many films rated R, it's like weak source R's, and it's like, come on. It doesn't need to be rated R, but yeah, I definitely remember that rating coming in. Okay. This is my issue, though. The M rating kind of is a PG-13. I feel that too. I agree. Yeah. Like, just change the name of the M. Just don't have M anymore and just go G, PG, PG PG-13, 
MA. Yeah, I, I feel that as well. Because the M is just a recommendation, isn't it? Exactly. So it's just it's like no restriction. Yeah. yeah, so it's like anyone of any age can go into a cinema and see an M-rated film. They yeah. don't have to be accompanied by an adult. It's yeah. just a guide. Yeah. Mm. That reminds me of how I got in to watch Dante's Peak when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> was that your one? <laughs> that was my the one. one. Dante's I like, Peak. <laughs> I think it's pretty sure it was him. I just remember that being. <laughs> Dante's Peak have been an M? You know, like it's pretty light. <laughs> Total PG-13. But yeah, just change them to PG-13. That's my two cents. I'm Kent Brockman. <laughs> echoing calls by, also echoing calls by the film producers of Australia and the Australian Children's Television Foundation, the Film Industry Associations, known as the FIA, also advocates a uniform classification system across all delivery platforms with self-classification by the industry overseen by a government regulator, which is interesting. Mm. And here in Melbourne this week, the Melbourne uh, Queer Film Festival, the biggest and oldest festival of its kind in Australia, celebrates its 30th anniversary, but doesn't look a day over 21, (laughs) when it opens this Thursday, March 12th, screening 110 sessions between the Capital Cinema Nova and Village Jam Factory, premiering new queer-themed features from Australia and around the world, starting with this Thursday's opening night film, David Charles Rodriguez's documentary Gay Chorus Deep South, March 19th sees the centrepiece screening of Levan Aiken's uh, romantic drama set in the Georgian ballet world, And Then We Danced. And the festival runs until March 23rd when the festival closes with Brad Michael Elmore's Queer Answer to the Lost Boys, the transgender-led vampire movie, Bit. Tickets are now available for Melbourne Queer Film Festival sessions at mqff.com.au. But now, let's see what's on at the movies. Your grandma tells me her grandson's some fancy environment lawyer down in Cincinnati. I am a corporate defense attorney. So? I defend chemical companies. Well, now you can defend me. Are we, though? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Dark Waters is the eighth feature film directed by Todd Haynes, depicting the true story of Robert Billet, played by Mark Ruffalo, a high-powered defence attorney at a firm that represents chemical companies who gradually uncovers a dark secret that connects a growing number of unexplained deaths in a small West Virginia town to the DuPont Corporation. As he starts to ask questions, represent the plaintiffs, and even turn his own firm around on one of their biggest clients, he risks everything, his future, his family, and his own life, to expose the truth. Flick. Braces it. This, is, this might be one of the worst I've ever written. Did you find this flavour of dark mark refreshing? Or a ruffalo ride with a side of poison? I don't even know what that means. Did you write that during the graveyard yeah. shift last night? <laughs> Probably like this is genius. This is amazing. <laughs> Even as I wrote it, I regretted everything. Uh, um, I don't know if I've got a response to that. But look, I um, when I saw the trailer for this, I wasn't. It's, so firstly, I heard that Todd Haynes had a new film out, which mm. I was exceptionally excited about. I love Todd Haynes. I really enjoyed. I'm not there. Safe is one of my favorite Safe's films. Great. I know. <laughs> Far from heaven. Like that's a film that I remember seeing years ago, and then. I, about two years ago, taught it as part of a melodrama course and really had this newfound appreciation for it. So Haynes, I think, is one of those directors that I'm always excited to see what he's going to come out with. I saw the trailer for this maybe a week before I saw it and I wasn't that into the trailer. Mm. I found like the trailer, if I had just seen that and hadn't realised it was Todd Haynes, I wouldn't have been that interested in it. Um, 
having said that, I saw this the other day and I really enjoyed it. I think it's so different from a lot of his other work, but there are markers of his um, usual auteur tour, uh, style. Like uh, he's always um, very ex- – like he's exceptional at um, giving – a real delicacy and depth to human in, human uh, interaction, particularly in like the domestic sphere. Like I think that the husband-wife dynamic in this film is so well communicated, and that's largely owing to the performances by Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway, who plays his wife. Hathaway is amazing in this. I thought she really communicated a lot of the sacrifices that happened during their relationship, and also um, just yeah, I thought that she only has a few scenes, but she is very memorable in those. Mm. Uh, so, I don't know, I enjoy this immensely. It's not, I don't think it's a standout film, but I think it's just so, uh, it's just so well done. It's so well executed. Mm. Every frame is, um, it, it just has a very thoughtful look to it. Yes. Like, it, it, even like uh, some bits, they don't overdo the whole like dark waters and it being stormy and stuff like that. And the characters are really, um, I felt so much for them and especially the the farmers who uh, first raised the issue, their presence, and I forgot the name of the main actor. Bill Camp. Yeah, he's exceptional. He's one of my favourite character actors yeah. right now and I didn't even recognise him in the film. They chucked, He's got a couple of mean John Howard style yeah, eyebrows. Yeah. Which he doesn't normally have. And yeah. I was, it took me about five minutes to recognise who it was. And he doesn't normally speak of his other accent. Oh, the accent was is kind of what makes it. And that whole, the way in which voice and, and the way, um, the voice by those actors is so abrasive in that moment. Mm. So Mark Ruffalo, I, I actually really like him. I don't think he's made the most interesting choices lately. But this film, I think, is a shift into a much more being taken as a, seriously as a, as a leading mm. man. And I think that he always has this very soft yes. um, and soft voice, but very kind of, um, I don't know, he's, he's, he, yeah, it's a, it's a strange pairing. I think the that abrasiveness of the voice coming in there and really disrupting it and saying, look, something needs to be done. And mm. and I I just found it really moving. I was very into this film. Yeah, I'm surprised my own reaction to it. I, I had the complete opposite oh, experience. Really? Oh. <laughs> I saw the trailer to this and I was really excited for it. Um, There is a lot to like about this movie. It's shot beautifully. It looks really exquisite. The content um, of the film is fascinating and terrifying Mm. and um, really quite shocking. But it didn't – it just didn't engage me as much as I hoped that it would. Um, I really disliked Anne Hathaway's performance <laughs> as well. I saw your look as, as Flick was saying that. I'm like, oh, I think someone's got a little different opinion. Yeah, I, don't, I found her really flat. I found her kind of, you know, a, a bit meaningless in the film. Um, Mark Ruffalo was great. There are lots of great performances in there. But I, I don't know. I didn't get that connection to the farmers. I, was, I wasn't hung over or anything when I watched it either. I was fine. Are you um, making a judgment? <laughs> I was very... No, no, I'm saying like if, if I was hung over If Sally grumpy, doesn't like something, she's hung over. Yeah, I'm hung maybe. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, just, I, I really wanted to like this a lot more than I did. Yeah. Definitely didn't hate it. Like I said, there's a lot of things... To like about this film it, it looks beautiful it's really really gorgeously shot but um i don't know i just didn't connect with it and it is a film that you 
you do need to connect with. Yes. Mm. Yep, yeah, definitely. Mm. It's interesting with um, when you were saying before that you found it scary. I mean, it is a very scary yeah. film because of, um, yeah, what, what's happening to these people. But I've recently fumigated my house and, like, it, oh. it's exceptionally me. I was like, oh, my the gosh. chemicals yeah. in my house. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my blood is now 30% PTOA or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. I, yeah, I was um, probably more in the flick direction. I, I saw the trailer to this and I just kept thinking of the 1998 Stephen Zalian, John Travolta film, A Civil Action. Yes. Oh, yes. Like yeah, the trailers. Yeah, yeah. And I went back and watched the trailer to The Civil Action and it's like a trumped up 90s version, but it seems like <laughs> almost exactly the same movie. Uh-huh. And so when I saw it, it's like, oh, it just kind of looks like, okay, this must be a paycheck job for Haynes. But then you start watching the, the minute the credits start coming up, Mark Ruffalo produced the movie. Yeah. It's clearly he, that dude hates Dupont. I'm telling you now. He <laughs> took the script to Todd Haynes as yes. well, didn't he? So he was the one that he's you know, the engine. Yep, that got it going. Yeah, mm. um, and it's based on a few magazine articles, principally a New Yorker article from 2016 mm-hmm. called "The Lawyer Who Was uh, Dupont's Worst Nightmare." Um, and of course, Ruffalo has made a bit of a name for himself outside of the screen over the last few years as a bit of an environmental activist. Mm. Um, and so he sort of really pushed this into being. And seeing the movie, and again, Todd Haynes shoots it on film, as mm. uh, most of his, uh, as all of his films are, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's just really, it, it really got under my skin. And I, I, but I, but watching it at the time, I was like, this is a very, like you said, Flick, everything was very well done. Everything was, you know, the, the, the actors are terrific. The, it's really, and I just came out, that's a really super solid version of yeah. this kind of thing. But after leaving the theatre, it stayed in my head. Mm. It's a lot bleaker than I expected it to be. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. I, was, I liked its little homage to Jaws, the uh, the opening sequence. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's like second unexpected horror film homage in a film this yeah. year after <laughs> Uncut Gems' Exorcist yeah, that's, reference. That's what I was thinking. I was like, really? No, having a Jaws for it. Yeah. right at the opening shot. Yeah. Um, it's And it's just, um, yeah, I, I'm somewhere in between on Hathaway's performance. I, I, I liked her. I didn't love nor hate. I, I, I thought she was um, fine. But I liked the fact that her character, was a high-powered lawyer who had had who had made mm. the sacrifice to raise their kids, and then sort of seeing her husband seemingly burn his career down, yeah. um, obviously for for an incredibly good cause. Um, I think there's a fascinating, an even more fascinating story around sort of Mark um, Tim Robbins's character. Mm. It was nice to see him on the screen. It was. I was really mm. excited to see him. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I feel it's been like. ages. Um, but. That sort of character is like this is he's built this firm upon defending chemical companies and defending these kind of clients, and then watching him steer the ship in the other direction and realize. And I like that sort of. There's a line where he goes, "American business is better than this," mm. and, it's like, and you, it has this sort of tinge of irony to it that I quite mm. liked. It's like, yeah, you're kidding yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I thought there were a lot of nice corners. I like that they used some of the real, a lot of the real people that were involved in the case. Mm. Um, um, and of course, you know, uh, uh, Dupont's crimes are just horrific, and it's yeah, I I, I did find this film um, reasonably effective. I mm-hmm. I love that Todd Haynes managed to throw a crash zoom in there at one point. <laughs> yeah, it's quite taken aback by that. Like, oh, okay, he is a nerd. I, I, He's a I nerd. do love him so. <laughs> but yeah, I, no, I I thought this was I thought this is a bit of a a bit of a grower. I, yep. I yeah. really dug this film. And it's yeah. kind of... Oh, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say, it's kind of interesting that, um, you know, the character himself that um, Mark Ruffalo plays, uh, Robert Billet, 
he's really quite a, an ordinary man in yeah. a lot of respects. And I kind of like the fact that even Ruffalo's performance doesn't really overstretch it. He, he kind of, he just, yeah, it's quite restrained. There's no grandstanding. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I like that too. That I liked, uh, yeah, he... Yeah, he was definitely the highlight of the film for me. I forget what mm. I was going to say before that. Flip. Sorry, right. derailed you. It's totally fine. <laughs> He's, um, yeah, and, and the fact that, you know, like, yeah, it's the story doesn't end the way you think it's going to end, mm. which is also um, um, super interesting. I mean, obviously I've not read any of the articles or the biography or anything around this. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is a really, I, I think this is definitely, I would say, highly recommended. Right? Yeah, me too. Medium recommend. <laughs> Dark medium. D- medium from Cell. Dark Waters or Murky Waters from Cell uh, is now screening at all good cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick Ford and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We have an interview. Um, so this Saturday, the 14th of March, sees the seventh edition of a unique Melbourne short film festival. Growing from a small night of watching shorts with mates to a full-blown day of festivities, the Real Good Film Festival screens 20-minute short film sessions starting on the, on, on the hour, every hour, starting from 11am to 6pm, followed by 40 minutes to do, it, do as you please. Eat, drink, boogie, then repeat. A proud supporter of Australian filmmakers, this year the Real Good Film Festival will showcase 30 short films from some of Australia's most talented and upcoming filmmakers and will be screening at the Lido Cinemas in Hawthorne this Saturday the 14th of March. Now our very own mighty Flick Ford pre-recorded the following interview with Blake Curtis, one of the festival directors of the Real Good Film Festival, and James Litchfield, director of the short film Christmas Trees, which will be screening during the 2pm and 5pm blocks of the festival. Take it away. Hello, you're on 3RRR and this is Primal Screen. Real Good Film Festival is a one-day festival of short films broken up with music breaks and a full bar to keep you entertained and properly hydrated. It started back in 2014 by John Roebuck and it kicks off for its seventh year this Saturday at the Lido Cinemas in Hawthorne from 11am till 6pm. The festival is a wonderful showcase of some of Australia's most talented and upcoming filmmakers and last week I had the pleasure to speak with one of the festival directors, Blake Curtis as well as local filmmaker James Litchfield. Thank you for joining me. Hello, Flick. Yeah, hello. Thanks for having us, Flick. No worries. Um, so I wanted to ask, Blake, the Real Good Film Festival is a little bit different from other festivals. It's just over one day, but you somehow managed to fit in 32 short films plus DJs and have a few breaks and beers to chat with other festival goers. How exactly will it work? Um, so the idea of Real Good is um, that every hour on the hour, starting from 11am, we have 20-minute uh, sessions of short films, usually two or three short films playing back-to-back. Uh, and then after that 20-minute period, we then have a 40-minute break where people can kind of go out, stretch their legs, grab a bite to eat, have a bit of a... There's DJs playing, so they can have a boogie or have a drink um, and discuss what they've just watched. And then, you know, when the next hour begins, the idea is to go back into the cinema and do it all again. Nice. Um, so where did this idea come about? Um, John, who's our founder, uh, John Roebuck, who's our founder and, uh, one of our festival directors, he came up with the concept. Um, he, he has a website called Real Good, which is where Real Good Film Festival comes from. Um, and he's a film critic, and the idea was that he loves films so much and he was really keen to support 
um, Australian filmmakers, um, and he felt that it felt a bit weird other film festivals where they condense so many short films in a compact two- or three-hour session. Um, we liked the social element of it, and we like to you know, give filmmakers the chance to kind of hang out with people who might have just seen their work and have a chat over a beer and talk about you know what is some incredible work yeah absolutely I think the idea of having a hub is so important in a festival James you've got Christmas trees your short film playing in the festival can you tell us firstly a bit about what your short film's about so it's a film about a guy who works on a Christmas tree farm and he doesn't really care about Christmas all that much (laughs) and one day his boss gives him makes him take a free Christmas tree as a matter of company policy and then he has to figure out what he wants to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic concept. <laughs> can see why it was picked. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it about the Real Good Film Festival that attracted you to submitting your film? Um, I had a friend who submitted his film and was accepted and he just told me it was a really – I think he said it was a really fun day and you know, just a great event uh, to meet people and to talk about – yeah, to talk about your films and and I guess what I one of the things I really like about it is that it I think it's it's it seems a lot more like a festival in the true sense of the word in that it's very communal. Um, I find often when you go to some film festivals that you know it, I'll go watch the film in a dark room, uh, leave, um, and then maybe I'll text my friends about it <laughs> afterwards, and that's the kind of extent of my interaction and discuss discussion of, of the film, and this is really not like that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I've definitely had that experience where I feel like a lot of my interactions with other festival goers is often just through social media, either through Twitter or just reading up what friends have seen, mm. but not always straight after the film, and I think that's a really valuable inclusion to have in the program. I wanted to ask you, Blake, are you also in filmmaking? Or? Yeah, yeah, I'm a filmmaker as well. Um, and I, I, I went to VCA um, way back in 2013. Um, and what I found really fascinating and what, what really drew me to Real Good um, was the concept that, like, I went to, went to uni with so many really talented filmmakers and when they didn't get into a lot of the really big film festivals um, around the world, it, it it was really quite deflating for a lot of them mm. and a lot of them really didn't want to pursue it any further because they didn't think they were talented. And for me, that was so hard to watch my peers, who I think are extremely talented people, kind of be feel like they ha- they didn't have anything to share with the world. And so I, I felt like, you know, just, just because you're not a winner, just because you don't win or get into the big prestigious film festivals, that doesn't mean you don't have a voice or an interesting story to share. What I love about Real Good and when I first attended and that's why I got involved um, was the concept that because my film was in Real Good and I was in also in that category and to have people around me be like, I really enjoyed that and how did you achieve this? It, it kind of gave you the motivation to keep going and understand that this is a craft that you're not necessarily born to be perfect at but it's a process where you get better and better and better and to have people appreciate it and want to buy you a beer over it is (laughs) kind of cool. Absolutely and I think that whole thing of being able to have a space in which you can experiment and possibly test out different ideas but also potentially a ground to be imperfect as well like I think that often it's very difficult in the film industry to get a get ahead and get a space to show your work. Do you have any advice for young filmmakers or people who are just starting out? 
I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there, Flick, when you were talking about the concept of being experimental um, and, you know, pursuing ideas that might seem a bit off the wall or different um, because I know that, you know, real good, we love that kind of stuff. We like seeing new ideas and, and exploring where they'll go. And, and you know, we have so many alumni that we're really proud of to see where they've kind of already started to go. Um, and I don't think there's any there's any level of, of not good enough that, that should be accepted. I, I love that idea. It, a new idea is only new when it's new. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to phrase that much better than that. <laughs> but, like, I know when I've seen something that's been done to death and then you hear stuff about, like, you know, this Christmas tree idea and it's yeah. just like... Great. That like let's let's cool. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what is going to really keep the film community alive and and keep it fresh as well. James, what's your thoughts on the Melbourne um, film community? Um, well, it's interesting that you mentioned your uh, um, VCA alumnus because I had my first day of my masters yesterday. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, um, but I, I think. I mean, I you know I haven't made that many films, um, and I found it has been. I have my little. Uh, crew um, and people that I uh, collaborate with regularly but it can be hard I think to um, branch out and and meet new people Um, and I think that's you know that's one of the really good things about real good where it's uh, the focus is on meeting people and that's and that's kind of what I had at at the VCA as Mm. well you know I had this community of people that were around me nine to five looking to achieve the same kind yeah. of thing. I mean, I guess that, you know, that's like a massive part of the reason I decided to go to VCA yeah. was just to have that community. And But I guess if I didn't have that, you know, um, yeah, things like Real Good are really important. Yeah, because yeah. it kind yeah. of brings that – because the, the best bit of advice I was given when I left VCA was that you're stronger together, so stick together. Yeah. And so stuff like Real Good is a really good way of – having you meet other filmmakers and having the time to, like we said, have that 40-minute break to socialise and meet other people um, and, and and grow that kind of that community. Yeah, and it can be particularly crushing when you're constantly applying for funding grants or feeling a bit isolated in those processes. So it's lovely to have an opportunity to maybe see that work and see who you might also want to collaborate with in the future. I was also thinking just selfishly as a spectator, I think it's great to have a little step into what um, upcoming filmmakers are working on and where, what direction we might be taking next. So I... Yeah, I'm excited to see that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I get a little kick out of that as well. Like someone I went to um, VCA with, uh, Natalie James, she she uh, brought a, a short film called Relic into um, Real Good that played a few years ago and now she's just made the feature version of that that pl- just played at Sundance. And I get a little kick out of being like, that's really cool that that was part of Real Good. Um, so you kind of feel like a... Bit of a proud parent, you know, yeah. with their, their assignments up on the fridge, A plus kind of. Yeah, look out for Christmas trees. The feature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I reckon you got it. You know? The next kind of Christmas film that's yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, we did a Christmas special on Triple R last year, so we can oh, include. Right. We, okay. should, we should branch out short films. And I was going to say, just as a side note, short films are sometimes sidelined um, in big festivals, uh, as you were saying before, Blake. And I think that. They often are made by um, people who have a smaller budget, smaller teams, and people who are just starting out. So it's lovely to have that as putting it as a focal point for this Ab- festival. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a bit of an untapped resource, I feel, in that as well, in that 
Um, the general public don't aren't probably exposed very often to short films um, in kind of a, a kind of a mainstream kind of setting. So it's nice to have something like like Real Good, where it's people who probably usually wouldn't see short films are, are exposed to it and kind of like this is kind of this is cool and yeah. this is not. You know, this is different to what I was expecting when I heard about this kind of stuff. Yeah, and also the punters can kind of take a bit of a chance as well, not just the filmmakers, because if you hate it, hey, it's only going to go for 25 years. Well, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Then you can whinge about it over a beer later. Yeah, that's a very good point. (laughs) (laughs) It all works out. Yeah, not as big a commitment. (laughs) Speed dating with films, really. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, Thank you so much for joining me in the studio, Blake and James, and best of luck with the festival. I'm sure I'll see you both there. Thanks. Thanks, no worries. Thank you, Flick. And if you want to come along to Real Good Film Festival, it's happening this Saturday from 11am till 6pm. For more information or to buy a ticket, check out rgff.com.au. I've just been talking with Blake Curtis, one of the festival directors and Melbourne-based filmmaker James Litchfield. You're on 3RRR. My name is Flick Ford and this is Primal Screen. This is a podcast from RRR, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So now our final film. Let's let's hear a clip from it now. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Wait a minute. <laughs> Paul's pretty pleased with himself. Right? <laughs> that's, that's not Honeyland. <laughs> you got us good. <laughs> the panic eyes yeah, that we like, just... What the fuck is this? This is a man. <laughs> I just B-rolled you. <laughs> Let's play the actual clip. Honeyland is <laughs> not, not featuring Nicolas Cage being attacked. It'd be a very, very different movie. But <laughs> Look, I've got to have my fun where I can. <laughs> Honeyland is the debut documentary feature from Ta- uh, Tamara Kotsevska and Lyubomir Stefanov, portraying the life of Hadice Muratova, a wild beekeeper in the remote mountainous village in uh, North Macedonia, following her lifestyle and the changes therein after the arrival of a nomadic family in the neighbouring house uh, drastically changes her local ecosystem. Sally, did you find yourself sweet on Honeyland's charms or merely allergic? (laughs) I was really sweet on this film's charms. Actually, I found this film to be really very remarkable. Um, The way the narrative in this is so tight that it got to a point where I stopped and um, looked it up to, because I was like, this isn't a documentary. This is a feature. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, that, it's worth noting there isn't sort of any narration or anything like this. is all sort of fly-on-the-wall documentary. But the way that the story unfolds is just um, so incredible that I was like, there's no way this is a documentary. I think they filmed it over three years. Yeah, or they were, yeah, they were doing um, yep. location shoots for three years. But, mm. yeah, it, I was so moved by this. Um, the way that it looked at how we really exploit nature mm. um, rather than nurture nature. Uh, this was this kind of big conflict in this film 
Um, we've oh, what's the her name? The Hadichi. Hadichi. Yeah. Um, with how she sort of tended to her beehives compared to the neighbours and, you know, how she was very sweet in sharing her knowledge and mm. her excitement when they first moved in because it's worth mentioning that she lives uh, with her sick mother who completely removed from the modern world. I think their home mm. is mud brick and there's no running water, no electricity, nothing. Um so these neighbours coming in, you see this sort of friendship form with them, particularly their children, Her um, forming a friendship with their children, which, um, yeah, is interesting to see how that goes from this sort of, um, you know, her being really excited by this, uh, you know, being able to hear music and all this new stuff that's coming through to it being slowly torn down. It is such a beautiful looking film and such a, you know, really a, a sad story, like I said before, about how we do sort of exploit nature and the effects that that has on many people, I guess. Mm. I found it exceptionally beautiful mm. as well. There was moments where um, there, of, of stillness that are so beautifully capture the, I don't know, her what her life and existence is mm. sort of like there. Um, it has an almost oil painting aesthetic to it in those moments and she has a – the main uh, main woman in the film has this like – Stri- quite striking face and just yep. the way in which those scenes are lit. It does feel a little bit too um, yeah, I was like, cinematic. Yeah. <laughs> I thought there's no way. There's no yeah. way this is a documentary. And I was, uh, yeah. I so, agree with that. Yeah. Mm. I, um, yeah, I, I was very um, – I was also really blown away by this film. I was expecting a different film. I knew a little bit about the opening sequence and I was expecting this very um, – almost like slow cinema sort of style uh-huh. and I was, I was prepared to just come back from the festival, watch a lovely little documentary about <laughs> beekeeping. I was like settled in to bed to watch this. Um it's quite a lot more chaotic and, and you know, there's moments of really um, – brutal um, uh, events. I don't want to sort of give away yeah, anything. I, I, was, I was tense of, a lot of this yeah. film. Like I, I thought the same thing as you, Flick. I was like, okay, this is a beekeeping <laughs> documentary. This is going to be great. But there was a lot of this film where I was very, very tense and very yeah. anxious. And yep. also because they are, you know, there is a bit of a neighbourly feud that carries out through most of the narrative. And you're right about it being a question of how we decide to treat the earth mm-hmm. and in particular the the bee, different beekeeping practices and whether one is there for sustainable st- sustainability and a, you know the future of keeping yep. this up or whether there is an element of greed or, or desperation i think that this family yep. and i don't want to create a villain of this family no. but there's a lot of um humanity and also just a difficult circumstances mm. i think yep. you get a real insight into the poverty of that family yep. mm. and the chaos is there and it's amazing that the filmmakers were able to capture this, this extremely real moments, um, particularly particularly with the children and I was very moved by this film. It, there is a lot of chaos and yeah. it's interesting because it's a foreign language film so I uh, just the amount of yelling. Yeah. And there's <laughs> a lot of yelling that's unsubtitled not, as yeah. well. They're not uncut just... gems level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> what's up I was, there. When I, when I watch this, I, I watch this and I – with with headphones in mm. and I watched Uncat Gems with headphones in and I had the same experience where <laughs> I was like I feel like I'm going to have a nervous breakdown <laughs> yes. from just the intensity of mm. the yelling so yeah, yeah I, I had that kind I, of parallel yeah <laughs> I am, I'm sort of curious as to the filming process with this because it's kind of exceptional as you're saying Sally so shot over well, three years three years mm-hmm. yeah and 
in this very remote area. And the whole basis is um, Hadice mm-hmm. and her mother, who's, who's um, extremely unwell and she is the primary carer and there's these beautiful moments of like tenderness and sadness of, of being a carer for, for your parent. And I thought that was amazing. Mm. But I wonder about the presence of the film crew in that area. I wonder whether that they just became like, as we said, fly on the wall sort yeah. of style because it does feel like that. But I'm also curious as to the how that then changes the narrative that they put into it because mm. it just seems it seems exceptional. And I'm being like we're both being total cynics here, but mm. sort of like is is this really? There were two directors, what? two directors of photography, an editor, and an audio engineer. That's the entire production team. Mm, okay, um, so quite a small team. So maybe yeah. not the same level of disruption. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah not a massive a, crew. Yeah, and it's, there's so much intimacy, and I thought especially. Um, there's so much hardship in this film yeah. and they capture it in a very, um, yeah, just a sort of objective way. And mm. I, I, it's obviously a very upsetting film, but in some in some yeah. moments, there are moments of, of humour. Absolutely. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of it's, chaos. The second film this week, both films this week are surprisingly bleak. Mm. Yeah. The two films I, I did not expect these, to be as These films so worked really well together mm. this week, yeah. you know. Yes. They, yeah. they really, I think, complement each other. But, yeah, especially with um, moments with her and her mother, so yeah. incredible. And like you were saying, Flick, about the hardship of, you know, being a carer because we see her in in um, moments where it's sheer frustration. Yeah. And that's sort of how we introduced to their relationship, yeah. which I thought was an interesting way to mm. introduce the mother-daughter relationship yeah. in this film. And then it kind of moves to sweetness after that. And mm. also yeah. I thought just a small note before about um, – when uh, her mother is hard of hearing, so often she's yelling at her mum. Yeah. And it's nice that you have these moments of her later on chatting to all the different people at the marketplace and you get a, a sense of, like, her personality. And I was really amazed by just how she seems so social for someone living yeah. in this she's remote really village. She's really she just mm. And as soon as the children come along and even the way she's talking to the, the animals, I was just like, yeah. I really I got a sense of her as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the bit that threw me off was um, when she buys chestnut hair dye. Yeah. I did not expect that. Yeah. I was like, oh wow, that's that's a shade I did not, you know, expect yeah. from this person. Yep. Mm. Yeah. It's um and it, uh, we we're talking off air about this um flick, but there's a point when the family next door kind of set up a makeshift satellite dish and they start getting a radio in and and they the all these very western songs are kind of playing like, you know, you are so beautiful and things like that. And it's to me it almost seemed like there's kind of this it's it seemed like the monoculture outside of this world. Mm. Yeah. It's just sort of and you know, this place is is sort of nestled away from that, but you know, every once in a while you sort of listen out there and it's like, Oh yeah, that's happening out there, you know, the the world of American pop songs and hair dye and you know, and all mm. that sort of thing. Um that was really interesting. Yeah, I it took me a while to get into this to be honest. I wasn't I wasn't massively interested for the first half. Yeah. Um, it's not until the sort of the, the second half starts kind of playing out that I became quite um, gripped by it. Mm. Um, I was a little bit worried about, I thought, is this going to be with the nomadic family next door? I got a bit worried, is this going to be anti... I mean, I don't know what their background, like they're sure, Turkish, sure. Yep. but I didn't know whether they were, they were you know, considered Romanese or travellers or whatever, yep. and I, mm. I didn't know it was going to be anti that mm-hmm. um thankfully it isn't um in fact as you said before flick 
she uh she her DJ strikes up a rather lovely relationship mm. with one of the kids. Yeah. And and kind of starts mentoring him. And he's Isn't and he's quite yeah. like, and he's quite attentive and mm. unlike his dad who's a bit of a bullet of gas. Yeah, that's and, it. Yeah. How he is constantly, you know, telling cuz her knowledge comes down from I guess generations yeah. and generations and she's kind and shares this knowledge with that family and that relationship that she has with that particular son where she, where he's going and relaying that to his father, but it's like that refusal to take that on. Yes. And how remarkable seeing these little acts of defiance yep. from the son where he, yeah, I was, he's so mm. young as well. Yeah. <laughs> Just really. The kids had really yeah. interesting personalities, you know. Um, and, you know, the whole, this sort of, you know, also this kind of old world background, I guess, you know, six brothers and one sister. It's a pretty rough and tumble kind of household. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just a bit tough to watch at times. <laughs> like a child gets stung by a bee oh immediately. My God. And I'm like, oh, Constantly. That's why I play, <laughs> yep. to be honest, that's what gave me the idea about the Nick Cage clip leading into this. Because like, people constantly being stung by bees. It's yep. like. Whereas she kind of reaches in and it's all fine and she's at harmony with nature. Uh-huh. And, and, of course, it's around this concept that the, the, the really – it does – I mean, it's not a spoiler to say that the, the um, Hadice's method is you once you draw the honey from, um, from the hive, you leave – you take half to sell and leave half for the bees. And that's her sort of key tenant. And that keeps all the bees happy and they don't attack each other and they don't – and, of course, when this other guy starts doing it – doesn't necessarily do that, and that's when the the problems begin to start. Um, yeah, the making of this uh, it sound, uh, is fascinating, and the way they I'm always I'm always so intrigued by the way documentary filmmakers become invisible, mm. and, and, and they really were in this. Like yeah. this, like I said, I, I I doubted it was a documentary because they they felt so completely invisible. Like it really was just the unfolding of these events, and it was slow and just mm. really gentle. And, Not and, all the time, and, and, <laughs> and also too, I think editing yep. is is the is 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 the spectre we're not looking at. You of know, course. we haven't mentioned. But, I think yeah. it's brilliantly and edited. And mm. so many observational documentaries will still have moments where the characters are looking at the camera, and this doesn't happen at all. No, from memory. No, it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. It's it's quite um, quite stunning. So, Honeyland is now screening at selected independent cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen. Triple. Yeah, you have been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick Ford and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We discussed Dark Waters now screening at All Good Cinemas. Flick spoke to Blake Curtis and James Litchfield from the Real Good Film Festival. And we discussed Honeyland now screening at selected independent cinemas. Also, Primal Screen can also be found on Facebook. So, you know, look us up. Drop us a line. Give us a like or something or a weird emoji. <laughs> Next week, we'll look at the long-awaited arrival of Peter Strickland's tongue-in-cheek horror film about a killer dress in fabric. We'll go on the lamb with Melina Matsukas and Lena Waithe's Queen and Slim. And we'll check out our very first retro pick for Ooh. 2020. I've missed those. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's a surprise. Yeah, we don't know what it is yet. (laughs) No, we don't. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, Killer Carl Chapman for panelling the show, and Elisa Kovacevic for producing our show. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 